Hello, welcome to the show. It's Madison Story Slam, and I'm Adam Rosted, the host of Madison Story Slam. Hey, I hope you guys are all doing well. Sorry that we have been on, on a little bit of an extended break. You know, it's the holidays, things are going great, but uh, things are busy. I have a full-time job outside of Madison Story Slam, and, you know, that's just life. But I promise in the new year to be better about getting out our shows, editing the live events, and making podcasts happen. I'm so sorry. Hey, one of the ways that you can help us make sure that happens is by supporting us. Uh, one of the biggest ways to support us is to pause this right now and go to Apple op- Apple Podcasts or iTunes and search Madison Story Slam. Leave us a rating and a review. Ratings and reviews help people to discover podcasts that they don't currently listen to. And, and uh, you know, that would help a ton. So thank you for doing that. Another way that you could support us, and people very often ask me, hey, is there some way that we can support you? You put on a free event. You put on a free podcast. Uh, do you accept money? Do you accept help? Things like that. We do, actually. And the easiest way for you to do that would be to head over to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Yeah, I had to check the spelling there. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Madison Story Slam. You can pledge money monthly to Story Slam and what we do helps support it. And that would be huge for us. This recording is from our November 2017 event. The theme was hungover. So there's a lot of great stories about being hungover and maybe some about the nights that got us to those hungover mornings. And it's wonderful. Our next Story Slam, this is coming out three days before our next story slam which is saturday december 16th 2017 and the theme that night is the nightmare that is christmas we all have had christmases that have had uh bad times and that have been nightmares maybe some of us always feel that way about christmas uh who knows so come to that uh come to enjoy some ale asylum which sponsors the show and come enjoy great stories told by wonderful people and take part in the most important part of Story Slam, the community aspect of it. During the breaks, talk to somebody you don't know. Hey, maybe during the entire show, you can sit next to somebody you don't know. Anyway, we hope to see you there. Let's not dilly-dally anymore. Here's the show. Enjoy the stories. So please put your hands together for Kelsey Pedersen. Thank you for remembering that, Adam. Um, I hope that you forget it now. Um, Okay, so uh, I get really terrible hangover anxiety. I have struggled with depression and anxiety my entire life. And yes, I'm aware that that means I probably should drink less, but I live here. So (laughs) here we are. So I get really terrible hangover anxiety, and it's not like, oh man, I forgot to pay the electric bill. It's like, oh my god, the darkness is caving in on my brain and I want to die anxiety. It's awful. Um, So this is what happens to me, and um, many times I go out and I tell myself, hey, I don't want to be hungover tomorrow because I got shit to do. I have places to be, but that always fails. Um, So here we are, and I spend a weekend in New York City with my best friend in the entire world, 
wonderful, wonderful time. I've gone to visit her many times, and we're at the point where we don't do the touristy stuff anymore. She's lived there for about six years, and uh, we just like hang out in Brooklyn and drink beer for days, and it's wonderful. But the last night that I'm in New York, I'm like, you know what, I'm not gonna drink too much tonight because I don't wanna be hungover, because what is worse than being hungover than like hungover flying on a plane? Like, that is awful. So, I fail because that's what I do. And um, I wake up at three o'clock the next morning, ready to get on a plane, get in this Uber and go on a plane. And I can already feel that I am starting to slowly die inside. Um, I am nauseous, like the kind of nauseous where like, it feels like there's nothing in your stomach, but also too many things in your stomach. And like, you want to eat, but you don't want to eat. And you don't even think you could remember how to eat if you tried and your head hurts. And so I get in this Uber and I'm starting to panic because I'm like, oh shit. And I go through this scenario in my head, worst case scenario, which is what panic attacks pretty much always are for me, where I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get to the airport and there's going to be nothing to eat because I don't eat anything because I don't like breakfast food and it's four o'clock in the morning and all I really want is a Chipotle burrito bowl drowning in sour cream, but they don't open until 1030 and there's probably not even one at the airport and I'm probably going to die without eating a burrito bowl. <laughs> so I'm anxious about that. And then I whip out my boarding pass and realize that I am on standby and I do not have a seat because I waited too long to check in. So now I'm freaking out about an entirely different scenario where I never get on a plane and then I miss my connecting flight and I still don't have a burrito bowl and then I die. <laughs> so I do what my therapist tells me to do and like try and direct, distract myself and think about something else. And I sit down at my gate and I'm trying to think about something else, but then the fire alarm goes off. So then the scenario in my head is, oh my God, I'm in New York City, there's gonna be a terrorist attack. Either I'm going to die and not have a burrito bowl, or I'm going to be trapped in this airport for the rest of my life and there's no Chipotle here. So I don't know what I'm gonna do. What interrupts this panic is that the gate agent is like, oh, hey, like we have a seat for you. And I'm like, okay, perfect. So I go up and get it. And I thought this was gonna be my saving grace, but actually I got put in a middle seat. So I'm like, great, I'm having a panic attack. I'm gonna get on this giant aluminum tube and fly through the air, and I'm gonna have to sit through in between two strangers. So I try to calm down, I'm trying to breathe. And I, uh, I get on the plane, and the two people on either side of me are already there, and I, the woman gets up and lets me sit down, and then they introduce themselves, and I realize that they are a couple. And I'm like, ooh, this is perfect. Do you guys wanna switch with me so that you can be together and I can be nowhere near you? And, <laughs> and they were like, no, actually, because we picked these seats specifically because because he likes the window and I like the aisle and we don't actually, we're just gonna sleep so we don't care who's in between us. I'm like, okay, fine. So I'm sitting here, I'm panicking. I'm like, the darkness is closing in on my brain. Like soon I will not have a brain. I'm like really struggling. And this woman, like as soon as we get to coastal flight, whatever that, or the height, whatever, um, she hunches over and looks at her husband across me and says, should I get that food out so we can eat? And I'm like, this better be a fucking burrito bowl. <laughs> it was not. It was like a box of artisan sausages, which is disgusting. <laughs> and now they are eating these sausages and they're passing them over the top of me. And they're saying things like, oh, did you try this like white cheese? And like, did you try like this sausage? It's very peppery, but like it smells peppery, but it doesn't taste peppery, smell it. And it's like, they're like waving it in front of my face. And I am torn, like, am I going to vomit on this woman or am I going to, like, jump out of a window never to be seen again? Like, 
those were my only options because when you're having a panic attack, it's closing in and like you're getting less and less logical as the day goes on. But I have a tiny moment of logic where I'm like, you know what, I better just tell her what is going on. So I'm like, excuse me, ma'am, I'm having a panic attack and the sausage thing is not helping. And I'm kind of starting to freak out and if you could not. Um, and she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, do you have any pills that you take? And here's another thing that happens to me when I'm panicking. I lie because the answer, the answer to the question in my head is too complicated. So I say something that seems less complicated, but it's not. So she's like, do you have pills? The answer should have been, I should have pills, but I avoid taking them because I'm really weird about taking shit. But the answer I said was, no, because I'm trying to get pregnant, which is not true. <laughs> So, so she makes me stand up and then she guides me through some yoga and breathing exercises, um, which is fine. And then I sit down and she, start, she says, like, can I massage your temples? And I'm like, I guess. Um, so she's massaging my temples and she's asking me all these questions and I know logically that she's asking me these questions so that I will like focus on them and not panicking. Um, but it doesn't matter because she's like, so where are you from? And I say, Wisconsin, that's true. Um, and then she says, did you grow up in Wisconsin? And the answer to that is, yes, I grew up in a small town, like bars up and down Main Street, but they had a Target, so it's not that small. So that was the answer that I would usually go with. But what I actually said was, I grew up in rural Wisconsin, which is not like a thing that I've ever said. And then she was like, oh, so like a farm? I didn't grow up on a farm. So, but I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, she announces to everyone around us who can hear, this woman just had a weekend in New York City, she's very stressed out, she's never been away from the farmland, just give her some time. But you know what, I just let it happen, uh, because I was not thinking about my panic, I let her massage my temples for the rest of the two hour flight. Um, and I felt a lot better, but you know what, I, uh, the next week I went to my doctor and I finally was like, you know what, I'm done with this aversion to things, give me a prescription, because sometimes it is okay to ask for help, even if that help is a little blue Xanax and a burrito bowl, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you. I like that that couple was like, oh no, we, we got these on purpose because he likes the window, I like the aisle, and we hate each other. <laughs> it is our next storyteller's first time telling a story at Madison Story Slam, so please make her feel welcome and loved and appreciated. Please put your hands together for Linda Lenski. Hello, everybody. My name is Linda, and I'm an alcoholic. It's okay to laugh. It wasn't so funny when I was drinking, but it's funny now when I get to tell the stories. So I'm going to give you a little um, preface to the story that I'm going to share with you. This morning, I went to a um, recovery enrichment workshop at Edgewood College, and there was a speaker from 
Hazleton, which most of you are probably aware, is the Midwest's biggest, most famous recovery center. Famous alcoholics went there. And Fred Holmquist, who gave the workshop today, started out by saying, you know, I really like being in Madison. He said, I saw my favorite t-shirt today. It said, beer me. And he said, it's the first time I ever saw beer as a verb. So yeah, we all know what it's like growing up in Wisconsin. Well, I'm going to tell you a story about my first blackout. Because most alcoholics will have a blackout. That's one of the signs. Mine happened almost 50 years ago on the night I graduated from high school. So I went out to dinner with my parents. Um, it was a great day, but it was a hot summer day, um, early summer in June. I graduated from uh, high school in Racine, Wisconsin. There were, I believe, I might not have the exact count, but I believe there were 666 students in my graduating class. And that's, I think, true. And I was one of them. I was a good student. Um, I was editor of the school paper, blah, 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 blah. I had a future that was bright. Um, and, you know, I had a nice evening with my parents. I had pizza. You know, kids at 18 love pizza. So we went out for pizza. And then I said, is it okay if I go out with my gal pals after we have dinner? And they said, well, first you're going to open your present. So my graduation present was suitcases. And it was like, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> and they were. They were like, we want to see you go off to school to the University of Wisconsin. And, and we want you to come home and visit. So here's your suitcases. So I went out with my gal pals, Kathy and Peggy. And Peggy picked me up in her avocado green Studebaker Lark. Now remember, this is 1968. So we drive to Kenosha because Kenosha had beer bars back then where at 18 you could buy alcohol um, in beer bars. You could buy beer in beer bars. So instead though, Kathy had smuggled a bottle of gin out of her parents' bar and she said, let's go get some orange drink. So we went to the spot, which was a drive-in. We bought orange drink that was like that tall. We dumped out half of it, and we filled it up with gin. I don't remember too much that happened after that. I grew up, I probably started drinking beer with my parents when I was 16 or 17, but I'd never had hard alcohol before. And it was a long day. I had a stomach full of pizza. I had this orange drink, and I had gin. And I gotta tell you, even if I drank today, I hate gin. <laughs> so, the next thing I remember is I'm kind of like passed out in the back seat of the car and Kathy's waking me up, and she said, we're gonna go to my friend's bar. And I looked at my watch, and it's like, but it's two o'clock in the morning. We could get in trouble. And she says, oh, no, no, no. We're going to Leslie's Continental Club. 
which is in the side of town that my parents said, never go there. Never, ever. Well, we went to Leslie's Continental Club, and Leslie had an apartment in the back of the bar. So we weren't actually in the bar, because we could have been arrested. But instead, we were drinking and smoking pot at Leslie's Continental Bar. And I had to use the restroom, and I went into the restroom, and if you've ever had as much to drink as I did that night, you know what like bed spins are like? Well, I was having a bed spin on the toilet, which in a room that's got hard surfaces everywhere, it's really dangerous. So I'm kind of sitting there going, and I notice many people use their bathroom and their shower curtain rod to hang laundry. Well, Leslie must have had about maybe 80 pair of socks that he decided to wash that day. And Leslie hung every sock that he owned, not in any particular order, on every surface that he could find. Towel racks, shower curtain rods, light fixtures. And I'm on the toilet with toilet spins. And I'm going, black, black. Argyle, Argyle. I don't know how long I was in that room. And I don't know how many times I spinned, spun, how many times I spun. But I ended up on the floor. I didn't crack my skull. Um, I probably got permanent brain damage, but you know, I always have an excuse of why I behave the way I do. Well, it was from falling on the ceramic floor in Leslie's Continental Club. The next thing I know, they had come in, and I, was, I wasn't conscious, because I was blacked out. They threw me in the back of the Studebaker Lark, and I woke up at a Clark station. Now, many of you probably aren't old enough to know what a Clark station looks like, but they were small, gas stations that had the smallest little convenience store and they only had room to sell cigarettes. But they always had the cheapest cigarettes in town. So Peggy, who was driving her avocado green Studebaker Lark, wanted to buy cigarettes. So we got cigarettes. They got me home. I, my bedroom is in the second floor of my parents' little Cape Cod house. And I walked in the door as quietly as I could, bumping into every surface that I could. And my dad's and mom's bedroom is to the right of the front door. And I had the kind of parents who would always wake up and listen when I'd come home. I was the oldest, so I was the first one who challenged every rule they ever made. And so they heard me come in, but I couldn't make it up the stairs because I was still... I think I was still doing toilet spins. So all I could do was get to the couch. Well, apparently, when I made it to the couch, 
Before I did, I threw up pizza, orange drink, gin, in two or three spots. You can only imagine what that looked like, what that smelled like, but I didn't know I did it, so I just fell asleep. Well, I was a waitress in my aunt and uncle's greasy spoon, and I had to go to work the next day. So in the middle of the night, like parents usually do, because they're cunning, baffling, and powerful, and those are actually words from the AA Big Book, but that described my parents. My mom had come out, and she had taken towels, doused them in cold water, and covered every one of my puke spots. And then in the morning, at about 5.30, she woke me up. Linda, Linda, time to get up. You gotta iron your uniform. You gotta go to work and you gotta clean up this mess. Well, I got up and I thought, what the hell is she talking about, what mess? And I looked down and I thought, why are those towels on the floor? And then I lifted one of them. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I made a new pile. And I cleaned it up, I made another new pile, and I did that two or three times. I got very good at cleaning up a pile of puke and then puking. Then I had to iron my pink waitress uniform and I had to go work at my aunt and uncle's greasy spoon. Well, I had many other drunkalog episodes after that before I decided, you know, everyone gets an allotment in life of how much alcohol they can consume. And some of us, like me, consumed my allotment pretty much all at the beginning. <laughs> so I've been sober for 40, 40, I'm sorry, 30 years. Thank you. But before I end this story, I gotta tell you a couple of my regrets, because I do have my regrets. I've been sober so long that wine coolers came out after I stopped drinking. <laughs> Craft beer came out after I stopped drinking. Brew pubs came out after I stopped drinking. So every once in a while, I think to myself, hmm, I wonder if I could have one of those. Mm, no. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Linda. Um, you mentioned Hazelden, and it made me think of my life. Um, it's not very funny. No. Uh, I want to tell you guys a serious story, something that I don't very often do at Story Slam. Um, I'm going to tell you the story about the day my mom died. And there might be some confused faces in here because there are people that know me and the woman who gave birth to me. The woman who gave birth to me is still alive, but I want to tell you about the day my mom died. So the reason Hazelden made me think of this is that my mom is, a, is an alcoholic. The woman who gave birth to me is an alcoholic. 
she's been to Hazleton and probably 11 other different treatment centers across the country. Um, so I live with my, at my parents' house late into my, and I, I guess it's my early 20s. I lived there till my early 20s. And I'm a pastor's kid. My, my dad was a pastor my whole life. And my mom was the worship leader at the church. And uh, <clears throat> she had uh, lap band surgery, uh, weight loss surgery, basically gastric bypass surgery. Before it was legal in the, in the United States, she went and had it in Mexico because it wasn't approved to be done here. And so it was so long ago that, that now, um, when you have that surgery, you have to go through a, a therapy process. And... Um, they just didn't know the kinds of things that could happen after that surgery. So what that surgery does is it shrinks your stomach and it causes your metabolism to change completely. Uh, when you drink alcohol, it hits a part of your, your stomach that I'm going to murder the name of, but it's like the jejunum, something like that. Jejunum, there you go. And uh, this part of your stomach basically is just a big sponge that absorbs everything. So my mom would, her first drink after, maybe I'm totally wrong, I don't know. <laughs> uh, my mom, her first drink after the lap band surgery was instantly a new feeling and a new kind of high for her. And if you, if you just go to Google and you search gastric bypass surgery, alcoholism, every story you will read is, is my mom's story. It's insane. Uh, and then there's also a lot of addiction transfer that happens because in the early days, what ha the people who were having this surgery were food addicts. They, to, to regulate their own feelings, they, they would eat. Um, and so my mom didn't deal with those things, so she, she made it so she couldn't eat so much, and she just, the, her first drink, she was instantly an alcoholic. I don't know who here has ever dealt with somebody who is a hopeless, desperate alcoholic. But it is, <laughs> it's not fun. It's not uh, an enjoyable thing whatsoever. Alcoholics are devious. Uh, they're liars. And they hurt you constantly. But they're also super dumb. <laughs> and I say that because my mom, my, so my mom's drink of choice was white wine. And she would take water bottles and empty them out and fill them with white wine and hide quote-unquote, hide them places. Because an alcoholic's brain is not thinking right. So their hiding places are like the most obvious things in the world. So you'd find them and be like, why did you put white wine in a, in a water bottle and, and put it in the, in the tank of the toilet? <laughs> the, the most depraved thing that she did, I'm going to save this, uh, I'll just give you an example of, of what an alcoholic's brain is like. I remember one time my mom went out to the grocery store and she went and bought some sunflower seeds. She loved sunflower seeds. She would sit in her bedroom in a recliner, watch TV, drink a shit ton of white wine, and, and eat sunflower seeds. It was the worst. I, those two things don't go together whatsoever. <laughs> but that's what she did. So she went to the grocery store. She bought some sunflower seeds. And, you know, it's like, it was like a grocery bag that's clear and see-through or somewhat see-through. And she comes in the door, and I'm sitting at the kitchen table. And, and at this point, she had, she had been in outpatient rehab at least twice and had been in inpatient rehab once. And she comes in, and there's a giant bottle of white wine in this bag. 
And I say, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm just coming home from the grocery store. And he's like, yeah, I know, but you've, like, you've got wine in the bag. And she goes, no, I don't. And I was like, yeah, you do. I can see it. No, you can't. There's nothing there. And then like, I get up and walk across the room over her and like, touch it. And I go, this is white wine. And she goes, no, it's not. Uh. <laughs> so I pulled it out and like, dumped it in the sink. And I was like, this is white wine going down the sink, just so you know. And she was pissed. So here's the day that my mom died. I am com- I'm coming home from the bars. <laughs> and I'm, yeah, right? And I'm smoking a cigarette outside my house. And um, I hear, so my, my mom drove this uh, five-speed, a manual car. And some five-speeds have a very distinct sound when they're in reverse. It's, like, it's this whirring kind of sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we lived at the bottom of a hill, and so I'm outside smoking, and I hear this sound, and then I turn and look at the hill, and it's this car going in reverse. (laughs) And so instantly I know, I'm like, oh, my mom's hammered drunk, driving home, and she saw me outside and doesn't want to whatever, so she drove away. And so maybe 10, 15 minutes goes by, and I hear the car come up, and she, she parks, and she gets out, and... We start talking, and I can very much tell that she's drunk, um, and it's not a great conversation. It is probably, it is the last conversation I had with my mother, and uh, she came to hug me, and I was so angry at her, because she'd been lying to me for years at this point, and I remember I went and I, and I touched, she had a big puffy coat on, right? And I went to touch one side of the pocket. And she went like this. And I was like, why did you pull away from me? And she goes, no, there's no reason. And so, like, I reached again and she pulled away. And I was like, I obviously know that you have a mini bottle of white wine in your, in your jacket. And she said, no, I don't. And I said, well, let me go in there then. And so she, like, let me put my hand in the pocket And what I pulled out was a Ziploc baggie full of white wine. And uh, I've never really talked to her about it. We don't speak anymore. Um, my, My theory is that she went to a bar and drank for a while and lined her pockets with Ziploc baggies and would dump some in. Because it was past 9 o'clock. She couldn't buy a bottle of wine. But she wanted to come home to her safe place and drink. And so she had lined her pockets full of Ziploc baggies with white wine in it. And it was at that moment that I just realized this person isn't my mom anymore. Like, this is the night my mom died. And so I've had, since then, that's, that's now eight years ago. And since then, I have had moments where I have allowed her back into my life. When I got married... I allowed her to, I just felt like that the woman who gave me birth deserved to see me get married. But very quickly after that, it, it just became worse than it was. So we don't talk anymore. Um, and this story has no resolution yet because she still drinks. She's been in rehab many times. The last rehab that she went to was run by Scientology, and it was basically 
a way for them to basically brainwash her. And my sister literally had to go break her out with the help of the, the county sheriff in Michigan where she was at. The, the facility denied that she was even there until we got the county sheriff involved and they had to break her out. It was insane. So I don't have any resolution for you, but you mentioned Hazelden. <laughs> so you get this. That was a rare, serious story from me about the night my mom died. Hope you are enjoying the show so far, and I just wanted to remind you that if you would like to support Madison Story Slam, leave us a rating or a review, or should I say and a review, on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes, or anywhere that you are able to rate us and review us. It means a lot to us and helps people find the show. Another great way that you are able to help us and support us is by visiting our Patreon page, which is at www.patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Madison Story Slam. That's a site where you can pledge monthly to us. And the money that comes in from that will help us to start doing things that we've been wanting to do but just don't really have the money for. like Things like video, things like merch, t-shirts, posters, all those glorious, wonderful things. And as always, raffle prizes for our live shows. Anyway, that's all. Let's go back to the stories. Please put your hands together for Jade I. Siri. He really set me up for success, huh? It might might be great. All right, so it's uh, 2015, and I am a junior at a small liberal arts college in Portland, and I am not a great student, but I do put 110% into my extracurriculars, which are rugby and beer nation, which is exactly what it sounds, a nation of people who drink beer. Um, And so it's the end of the semester, it's May, and we decide to go on our annual Chinese dinner, which is where we go to a Chinese restaurant, order way too much food, and attempt to drink the bar dry. (laughs) And um, So we all pile into a 15-passenger van on a Wednesday night, convince some underclassmen to drive us there. And we're sitting there, and plate after plate of food comes, and I'm sipping on, I think, my third Long Island iced tea. And I've got that warm feeling, right? That like, I'm a little bit drunk, but also I'm with people who I love. And um, I'm sipping the last bit of my third Long Island iced tea. And I start to think, screw my two-point GPA. This is what college is about. (laughs) And I think we're there for about two hours when we finally get cut off. And um, we climb back in that 15-passenger van and we go to campus. And we're a nation of beer, right? So we have all the beer on campus that anyone could ever want. So the party continues, and we are drinking and drinking and drinking. And I'm still feeling that warm feeling, but also I'm getting getting a little fuzzy. And sometime I decide I'm going to take a walk. And I don't, I'm so fuzzy that I don't know if I was going from one location to the next or maybe I was like with other people, but also I could have been alone, not totally sure. 
But what I do remember is I remember feeling like a weeble wobble. You guys know like weeble wobbles, the little like toddler toys? They weeble, or they wobble, but they don't fall down, right? Um, anyway, so I'm starting to feel like a weeble wobble, but not a normal weeble wobble. Like one, if someone messed up and they put the weight in the head, you know? And so, <laughs> so then you put the weeble wobble down and then it has no choice but to fall forward, right? So this is happening to me, I'm, my head's really heavy, and the next thing I know, I'm falling face forward onto the cement. But I play rugby, right? So I get up, dust myself off, and I go back to my friends. I'm pretty sure that they were as drunk as I was, so I don't think anyone realized that I had fallen on my face. Um, but it was fine. Continued partying, it was great. I spent the night at one of my friends' on-campus apartments. Next morning, I feel like awful. I felt horrible, but I decide I'm just going to walk home, get in my own bed, drink some Gatorade, it's going to be fine. Um, it's not fine. Uh, the Gatorade comes up the same way it came down, or went down. Um, no food stays in my stomach, and I go through the rest of Thursday this way. And it's Friday, and I am a bad student, but I do know that if I don't do work on Friday, like, I'm going to fail. So I start trying to write my papers, and I can't look at the computer for more than 30 minutes. And I'm like, this is the worst tango over ever. I can't think, I can't write, which is the same thing, I guess. Um, and I can't look at my screen for more than like 15 minutes without getting really nauseous. And so Friday goes like this, I write like maybe a thesis statement that makes no sense. And then I go back to sleep and I wake up on Saturday. And I'm like, I should be feeling better by now. And I'm not. And I now use my like, well-earned education at college, right? the one that I got playing rugby and drinking a ton of beer. And I realized this isn't the worst hangover of my life. I, in fact, gave myself a really awful concussion. And I use this, the context clues of the giant gash across my glasses and the, the bridge of my nose. It looks like a rabbit or something has been chewing on it all night. And so I do what every not great student does, and I email my professors and tell them I got a concussion. Don't explain how I did it. I got um, a two-week extension in most of my classes, and I passed all my classes. So, yeah, I probably needed that extension anyway. <laughs> all right, thank you, guys. Thank you. Our next storyteller last month, was last month the first time you told a story? Yeah, our next storyteller told their first story here last month. She's from San Diego, uh, but originally from Texas and also here. Yeah. Um, last month I made fun of her height uh, on accident, and it was reminiscent of a story from when we were kids going to a Christian school where her mother was my fifth grade teacher. Go to the podcast and you'll actually hear it. The latest episode of the podcast has the joke in there. So, I don't know. Please put your hands together for Amanda Floater. Thank you. That was a nice plug for the podcast review. <laughs> um, so, I am a very responsible person. I take life very seriously. 
Okay, I am responsible, though. Uh, maybe not too serious, but very responsible. Um, one night, I decided to go out with a group of friends. What were we at Ale Asylum for? I don't even remember. Somebody's birthday or something lame, probably. But we were there, and there was this bartender there that was a magician. His name is Mike. He's mesmerizing and amazing and makes things float and puts things on fire. And it was, it was pretty sweet stuff. So his tactic, obviously, was for us to get very involved with that and continue to buy drinks. But what's really kind of neat about me is I'm also pretty squirrely when I'm drunk. And... Uh, I end up kind of doing things that I probably wouldn't normally do, like most people, after they've been under the influence. Um, for instance, there was this one time where I went to a party somewhere, had a few drinks, went home, woke up the next morning, and found a foam fish in my freezer and a dream catcher on my rear view mirror. No recollection of where I got it from or why I thought it was nice to take it, but I did. So... Apparently, stealing is my, my go-to, and that's what I did this night. So, this night at Ale Asylum, Mike is doing his tricks, and I start buying drinks on my friend's tab without him knowing. And drinks start leading into doubles, and just starts getting worse and worse. So, my uh, friend Adam here and my husband Ian were driving me home. Oh, <laughs> And I was trying very hard to convince them that, you know, I'm of sober mind. And Ian is backing our Jeep Wrangler into the garage. And he was doing an awful job. He was going really slow. He's taking, like, all of these maneuvers that I wouldn't do. So I'm trying to convince him that I could do a better job. And telling him that I should take over. Being the actual responsible one in the moment, he said no. He parked it, and I said, give me the keys. I'm going to pull it out and back it in and show you how it's done. He hid the keys, so that was fine. But I uh, decided to go use the restroom, and uh, <laughs> like Linda, I started having toilet spins. So I'm on the toilet, and I'm looking down at the ground, and that rug looked so comfortable. So I laid down on it and I laid down on it in front of the door. So I'm blocking the door, and I was there for probably what seemed forever for my husband, and we we're also living in the same house as my sister. So Ian's trying to be very quiet about this, and he's lightly tapping on the door. Amanda, Amanda, are you alive in there? And my sister comes out, she's like, what's going on? And he's giggling about it, and they're trying to open the door, but it's just thudding into my head. Well, anyway... <laughs> They get me into my, my bedroom, the bed, you know, I fall asleep. I wake up the next morning for a 6 o'clock shift at a dog kennel. This was in winter, so it was pretty, pretty cold, and the heat's on in those buildings. So there was this uh, little flu that was going around with dogs at the time, and, you know, when dogs are in a social environment, they all get the flu, too. So I get, you know, there, and I'm wearing all my warm clothes, and I start to put the key in the keyhole, and you can just feel the heat coming out of that hole, and a little nasty smell is coming out of there. So I'm like, all right, we're, we're going to do this. Responsibilities. So 
put the key in the keyhole, turn it, and I open the door, and just the smell of diarrhea lofts out into my face. So I vomit <laughs> everywhere in the snow. But the nice thing about vomiting in snow is it's easy to pick up. So I just kind of let it freeze and picked it up later. Um, but what was awful is, again, kind of like Linda, every diarrhea mess I'm picking up, I'm picking up my vomit mess next to it. So it was just this long, long, nasty thing of me just vomiting and picking up diarrhea. Uh, I ended up finishing it like a rock star, though. So finished my shift and slept for the rest of the day. Thank you, Amanda. I have so much to say. <laughs> because she kind of passed it off. Like, so when we were coming back in the Jeep uh, and Amanda was hammered drunk, uh, you put it on Jordan's tab, everything. And I put a few drinks on Jordan's tab. <laughs> but we're coming back in the Jeep and Amanda is angry that we won't let her drive at all. But then when we get to the house, I have never seen her more angry because we won't let her back the Jeep into the garage where another car is. Um, <laughs> and so, so we get it backed in and she goes, I don't care if you backed it in. When you get done backing it in, I'm going to pull it out and back it back in. And you can't stop me. And her husband and I are just like, okay. It was very funny because of how angry you got that we would not let you back this car in. Let me tell you a little bit about Amanda, okay? She is a goader. She is somebody, when you're at a party and have had a few drinks, she goes, she'll, she'll like creep up behind you and be like, hey, you should drink some more. <laughs> uh, our next storyteller, again, a first timer. So everything I've said about all the other first timers applies here. Be kind, be generous, be loving, and blah, 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 blah. Um, her name is Madison Bowers, so please put your hands together for Madison Bowers! Hey everyone. So I'm gonna get one thing out of the way. Yes, I'm Madison, and I live in Madison. Uh, I'm not from here, and when I first decided to move here, I thought it was the funniest thing ever, and quickly learned my mistake, like the first week. It was not fun. Um, so I'm going to talk about um, my 21st birthday party. I wasn't, I'd actually turned 21 the week before. For some context, I, my birthday is in December, so it's always during finals week at my university, and I was really bummed out. Somehow, I have amazing friends, and they decided they would go on a trip with me after finals week was over. So Spirit Airlines, um, I don't know if anyone's flown Spirit before, it's a rough time. <laughs> They had a deal, a $65 round trip to New Orleans. So <laughs> that's where we went. Get there Friday night, and then we would leave Sunday morning. So we get there Friday, and I am ready to go. So we go, we go drinking. 
I honestly don't remember most of it. Um, I think I had a good time based on the photos we had afterwards. <laughs> but the next morning, I'm not feeling so well. And I've had hangovers before. I feel a little sick in my stomach. It's fine. But it's just not going away. I made one of my friends buy me some Gatorade because there wasn't a vending machine in the hotel. I, guess I just have amazing friends because who would do that for an annoying drunk person? <laughs> and they go do that. And I'm like, I think I'll be okay in a couple hours. And then a couple hours go by. I'm still not okay. So my friends leave me <laughs> because, you know, we're, we're out in New Orleans. And I was like, you don't have to stay in the hotel. But what really bummed me out is one of the things I was really excited about is to go to Cafe Du Monde and get a beignet because I love pastries. And they go without me. Fair enough. I was sick. I couldn't eat it. Um, and I just continued to be sick the rest of the trip. I finally feel a little bit okay on Friday and go out with them for dinner. And then go back to the hotel room because that was all I could handle. And then Sunday, I flew back home. And that was my entire trip to New Orleans. On an exciting note, I'm going to attempt to go again this December and <laughs> with the sole purpose of I'm going to finally eat one of those beignets. <laughs> Hey, that is our show for today. That is the first half of the Hungover Stories from November 2017, live from the Wilmar Center, even though it wasn't live when you heard it. Uh, we had a great time that night, so I hope you guys had a great time listening to those stories. As always, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, whatever. You know, uh, you just search Madison Story Slam and you can keep in touch with us and find out when our next storytelling events are and just keep in the know about what we're doing. We've got some cool things coming up in 2018, like a partnership with Wisconsin Public Television. Oh, there's some information about that on the Facebook page right now. So if you want to find out more, go there. And the other place you should go is to our next storytelling event, which is actually in three days. That's Saturday, December 16th, and the theme is The Nightmare That Is Christmas. So come share stories and, and debrief about all the Christmas pasts that you have hated, that maybe the, the turkey or the Christmas ham or the goose or the roast beast didn't quite come out right, and all the times that your homophobic uncle said something terrible, whatever. We'll see you next time. We'll see you at that one, and we'll see you on the podcast. Keep listening. I love you.